Well, good rainy Thursday morning to you guys. Grace 412 podcast listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. It sounds like it's a tornado outside right now. And so if you hear a little bit of static or a little bit of rain in the background, that's what's going on. But we are just giving a recap from our lesson last night as we talked about 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've been in this series, As For You in the book of 2 Timothy, and we wrapped up this semester looking at chapter 4. We finished uh, two weeks ago in chapter 3 as we studied out the reality that the world's going to get worse. Uh, You look at the direction the world is going, you look at even within the church, the direction that uh, Christianity is going, and you can see that things are not getting better, they're getting worse. And so we ended two weeks ago in chapter three, talking about this word Kavanaugh, talking about this archery term that means to hit the bullseye and what that looks like for us in uh, a world that is spiritually dying, a world that is spiritually broken, uh, but for us to live spiritually focused, eternally minded lives. And this word Kavanaugh, meaning uh, the bullseye, we, we studied four things that we can do uh, to hit the bullseye of an eternal mindset. And so those four things were that we study scripture to know God. We have a spirit of prayerfulness. We realize we've been loved extravagantly in order to love extravagantly. And we see all of life as worship. And so we ended chapter three talking about that. And with that in mind, we dive into chapter four, where Paul gives these final charges to Timothy. And you see those four things that we're going to call Kavanaugh four. You see those all throughout chapters three and four. And so we're going to jump into chapter four and verse one. And it says this, Paul says to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering in doctrine. And so Paul says to Timothy in chapter two, uh, four and verse two, he says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. That word instant, I'm not going to try to pronounce the the word there, but it means to stand upon, to be present, to be ready. Um, that word's actually ironically used uh, oftentimes when it's talking about people that just appear. So it's used in Luke 2 when the angels just appeared before the shepherds. It's used again in the upper room when Jesus just appears before the disciples. And the reason it's used here is because it carries this idea that we're to be present, that we're to be ready, that we're to be available, that we're to be in the moment. And what are we to be available for? What are we to be present for? What are we to be ready for? To reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort with all long suffering, with all patience and truth. And so uh, Paul's giving Timothy this final charge, and he says, listen, I want you to preach the word. I want you to be available. I want you to be ready. I want you in the moment, in season and out of season, to be prepared to reprove, to rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? And he goes on to explain it in verse 3. He says, because the time's going to come when they're not going to endure sound doctrine. He says, but after their own lusts, they'll heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll turn away their hearts from the truth, their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Paul says, hey, we have to be ready. Why? Because as he said before, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. He says, people are going to be carried away. People are going to 
find somebody who tells them what they want to hear. They have itching ears, right? They're going to turn away from the truth and they're going to turn unto fables. And remember, this isn't just people in the world. This is people within the church. But look what he says in verse 5. He says, but watch thou in all things. As for you, Timothy, you in all things endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. He says, Timothy, everything else around you might be falling apart. Everyone else around you might be falling away. But as for you, I want you to be ready to endure affliction, to do the work of the evangelist, to make full proof of your ministry. That word for watch there is uh, the same translation that's used in other uh, parts of scripture where it's translated to be sober-minded, to be level-headed, to be watchful. We are able to be ready like we're charged to be in verse 2 by being watchful like we're charged to be in verse 5. Here's the thing to remember. Rather than being pressured to react, we must be prepared to respond. It's a very semantical difference, but it, it carries a significant weight when we understand the difference between reaction and response. Uh, when we're not prepared, when we are not uh, self-aware, when we are not reliant on the Holy Spirit, when we're not uh, immersing ourselves with the truth of God's word, when we're not studied and when we're not level-headed or watchful, we will react when pressure comes, when disappointment comes, when trials come. But instead, when we are prepared, we can respond in the way that the Spirit leads. And it's so important for us to wrap our minds around this nuanced difference now more than ever because the world, like we said, is getting worse. How are we going to respond to the issues of uh, the LGBT and the issues of gender identity? How are we gonna respond to the issues of racism that are taking place? How are we gonna respond when racism is misidentified and authorities and leaders and public servants are mistreated or disrespected? How are we gonna respond when the people around us are leaving the faith? How are we gonna respond when people are denying the truth of God's word? How are we going to respond? Uh, well, what do we do? We study scripture uh, to know God. We, we have a spirit of prayerfulness and we realize we've been loved extravagantly in order to love extravagantly. Here's the reality. Our response will largely be dictated by our preparation. Our response will largely be dictated by our preparation. That's why it's so important that we study scripture to know God, that we have a spirit of prayerfulness, that we realize we've been loved extravagantly in order to love extravagantly, and that we see all of life as worship. Because when we are prepared with the truth of scripture, when we have a spirit of prayerfulness that is leaning into the spirit's leading, when we uh, realize that our call is to love God and love others. And when we see everything in our lives as an opportunity to bring God glory and to worship, all of a sudden our response to difficulty changes. Our response to the broken world and the broken people around us changes. And that's why Paul's able to say, hey, I'm ready for anything. He goes into verse uh, six and he says, I'm ready 
And he says, for now I am ready to be offered up, and the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me only, but unto them also that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. So Paul says, hey, I, I know my time's coming to an end. He says, I'm, I'm about to be offered up. I'm about to die. But he says, I look back on my life, and it's been good. He says, I've, I've fought the good fight, the only fight worth fighting. I've finished my race. And most importantly, he says, there's a crown laid up for me in heaven. It's, it's, it's what we keep coming back to. Paul was living for an eternal purpose with an eternal goal. Paul had said, as for me, I fought the fight worth fighting. And because of that, I'm looking to eternity. And that day is going to be a good day. That end is going to be a good end. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, but Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. He says, Cretans to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark, he says, and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Paul says, hey, Demas, he, he left. He's gone. He, why? Because he loved the present world. He couldn't handle it. He forsook me. And the reality, if we're honest with ourselves, is uh, the majority of the time when we uh, fall away, when we lose faith, when we lose sight of eternity, when we uh, pursue our own desires, when we are not fully committed to Christ, whether we admit it or not, it's because we love the present world more than we love the ministry, more than we love the pursuit of Jesus, more than we love the call for eternity. Having loved this present world, it says, he forsook me. But he says, hey, wait a second, Luke is still with me. And he says, hey, take Mark and bring him with you. There were still some people that said, hey, as for me, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. What's interesting about this guy, Mark, that he says, hey, bring with you, he's profitable for ministry, is this is the same person that had been uh, a cause of disagreement back in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have this big fight, right? And Paul says to Barnabas, I don't want to take Mark with me because Mark had abandoned them uh, earlier on in their ministry. He says, Mark, he had left. John Mark had, had bailed on us, so I don't want him to go with. Uh, but Barnabas gave him a chance. And now at the end of his life, this guy is one of the men that Paul wanted closest to him. Why? Because you go back to K4, Paul knew the heart of God. He had studied to know the heart of God. He had likely prayed for Barnabas and for Mark and for their ministry and for Mark's restoration. He had realized Paul had how much he had been loved and forgiven. He, Paul had said, I'm the chief of most sinners. He realized, who am I to hold a grudge against this guy? But instead, he had an opportunity to extend forgiveness, to extend grace, and to welcome Mark back into the ministry together. And he wanted, most importantly, to worship God for what God was doing, not just in Mark's life, not just in Paul's life, but in the, the ministry that God had called all of them to collectively. So Paul's in prison. He's awaiting what he believes to be his death. And he invites a guy who had abandoned him years before that had caused disagreement and strife between him and a good friend. 
And here's the point of it all. Rather than being frustrated by our circumstances, we must be passionate about our opportunities. Rather than being frustrated about his circumstances, about the way that things were going, about the way that people had acted, Paul was passionate about his opportunities. Somebody uh, once said, when we have people, you have problems. It's a, a common expression, where you have people, you have problems. But I would take that one step further and say, that's true, but more than that, where you have people, you have potential. Within uh, people lies the potential for incredible things. Uh, you look at even creation, uh, God creates Adam and Eve, knowing that they would sin, knowing that they would create problems, knowing that they would create brokenness, knowing that they would dishonor him and disobey him. But more than that, God saw this as a opportunity, uh, the potential to show every attribute of himself, his justice and his judgment, his righteousness and his holiness, as well as his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his patience. And in this uh, creation and in this design, God was able to use all of it to further bring himself glory. And then as you follow scripture all the way from Genesis to Revelation and through Old Testament law and New Testament promise and all the way to where we are now, you can still see a God who uses broken people to bring about his perfect plan. It's all about how we can learn together, how we can grow together, how we can see our need for the Savior and see our need for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where you have people, you have problems. But where you have problems, you have potential. Paul saw this as a chance for him to do what he had already told Timothy to do the chapter before, when he said, commit the truth to faithful men. He says, uh, Mark is profitable, me, profitable to me for the ministry. He can take my place. You guys can fill in the gaps. You can pick up the torch, so to speak. And so he wants, uh, he wants John Mark and he wants Timothy and he wants Barnabas. He wants them to gather together so that he can commit the truth to faithful men and watch them continue the work of the gospel. So then he goes on in verses 12 through 20 to talk about his plans. He talks about who's gone where, who has left him, who's gotten sick, who stayed faithful. And then he says, hey, bring my cloak, bring my pens, bring my paper, and bring John Mark with me. And then in verse 21, he says, do your diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greet thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace and peace to you, or grace be with you. Amen. And it's an interesting thought that Paul, at the beginning of chapter 4, in one breath, seemingly knows that it's the end of his life. And he says, hey, I fought the fight. I've finished my course. But in another breath at the end of this, he says, hey, bring my pen and paper. Uh, bring these people with. He says, make sure to visit before winter, right? He he's, seems fully confident that he's going to be delivered. And it's an important thing for us to note because there is a duplexity to a content Christian faith. A duplexity that says, I'm trusting God to do fill in the blank. I'm trusting God to provide here. I'm trusting God to heal here. I'm trusting God to fix this. I'm trusting God to work there. I'm trusting God to do this. But I know that even if he doesn't, he is still good. It's a duplexity that says, 
I believe God is able, but more than that, I believe that God is sovereign, and I believe his ways are higher, his ways are greater, and he is working out a plan that results in my good and his glory. Paul says, I believe he's able to deliver me. I believe I'm going to see you again. I believe you're going to come and visit, but more than that, I believe I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've done all I can do, and I'm trusting God with the rest. We're able to keep this perspective when we say, as for me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let the world around me determine what I believe. I'm not going to let my circumstances determine how I feel or what I know to be true about God, but instead, I'm going to trust in his plan. I'm not going to be pressured to react. I'm going to be prepared to respond. How do we do that? We study scripture to know God. We have a spirit of prayerfulness. We realize we've been loved extravagantly so that we can love extravagantly. And we see all of our life as an opportunity to worship. That's how we make a difference, not just in our everyday lives, but for eternity. And that's our goal, that we would be a people who lives up to the name Grace 412, that we would be an example to the believers in word and deed and spirit and truth. And that we would do that by trying to hit the bullseye on spiritual, eternal-minded Christian living. We'll talk to you guys real soon. We're on a life group break, but hopefully we'll be able to catch up over the next few weeks and continue to study scripture together. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you.